grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Stephen Hawking was a man of fervent faith. You remember Stephen Hawking? He was the physicist who suffered from, from ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, wrote A Brief History of Time. Well, he was a man of fervent faith. He fervently believed that there was no God. And we need to be clear about that, to, to say that there is no God, that that is an article of faith. Mr. Hawking was not able to put under any kind of petri dish, under a microscope, and see, look, there's no God here. It was an article of faith for him, and he fervently believed that there was not a God, in spite of all sorts of evidence pointing him to the contrary. He was also a man of fervent faith in that his whole life was oriented toward trying to find what has been called guts and toes. Guts and toes, you say. Well, those are not hard to find. You just got to look down, right? Those are acronyms. Guts. Grand Unification Theories. Otherwise known as TOES. Theories of Everything. This is what Mr. Hawking poured himself out trying to find, trying to discover some all-encompassing, unifying theory of everything that would cross every T and dot every I in existence, even though he knew and it had been firmly established that this was basically a fool's errand, that from our uh, privileged place as human beings, we are not able to understand or make sense of everything. It's just logically impossible that we, from our place in the universe, would be able to tie up all of those loose strands of existence. So why would Mr. Hawking still go after that, spend his life seeking for it? I mean, I sympathize with him because I think all of us have this deep-seated desire, don't we? This deep-seated desire to try to get, tie together all of the disparate data of existence. We want to try and, and make sense of it all and see how does it all fit together. I get that. But for him, a man who fervently believed there was no God, it seems like a, a strange quest that he would continue to pour himself out to. But he also said something once, perhaps in a less guarded moment, that gets us more to the point why he would keep after this search. As Stephen Hawking once said, even in spite of himself, he was trying to discover the mind of God. He was trying to discover the mind of God. Einstein said something similar, trying to understand God's thoughts. And from that perspective, maybe this search for a theory of everything isn't such a fool's errand after all. To get at why that is, we're going to look more deeply at our epistle reading for this evening from Ephesians chapter 1. If you've got your worship folder, the Bible in the pew, please pull that out. We're going to work our way through this text as over the next several weeks, we're going to be going through this wonderful letter of Ephesians. I mean, all of Paul's writings from Romans and the Corinthian correspondence and Galatians, they're all beautiful. But Ephesians, if you're looking for just a, a succinct, impactful um, uh, conveyance of the gospel, you'd be hard-pressed to do much better than this letter to the Ephesians. And in these first, what, uh, 11 or 12 verses, he just gives this power-packed message of grace that ties together all sorts of things. I mean, at your house, at, at my, like at my house, I assume you have a drawer, 
And that drawer, it's probably in the kitchen, maybe it's by the phone, and you open up that drawer, and it's got all kinds of little compartments, and it's the drawer where you just stick everything, right? You've got some batteries in there, you've got keys to you don't know what, right? Someday you'll find out, it's the key of everything. You got all sorts of stuff. Everybody's got a junk drawer, right? Well, what we have at this beginning of the letter of Ephesians, Paul has not a junk drawer, but like a, a jewel drawer, a gem drawer, as he is pulling out all of these pearls of gospel wisdom, one after another. It just comes at you like a fire hose. So he unpacks, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, all right? So now he's about to go down and rattle off all of these pearls of gospel wisdom. He chose us in him. Election, the fact that God chooses you rather than you choosing him for adoption to himself. Adoption is another one of those gems that we have been called and claimed as sons and daughters of the king. That also we have this redemption through his blood, that now we have the, the forgiveness of sins. And Paul goes on, he's lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. Revelation also is another one of these gems. And Paul is just pow, 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 bringing them all out. It is powerful, it is persuasive, it is beautiful. And it all culminates with this lesser-known gem, recapitulation. Say, recapitulation. recapitulation. There's your $5 word for today, right? Okay, Pastor, what is recapitulation? Well, it's actually simpler than it sounds. You are familiar with an abbreviation that we use for it almost in everyday speech, which is a recap. A recap is a shortened form of the word recapitulation. And what's a recap? Well, a recap is a, a simple, concise summary of things that you have under a headline, right? Here's the headline. Here's the concise summary. That's your recap. It's a brief expression of all of the significant events. The word recapitulation, it comes from a root that literally means to put under the head of. So just as you have a recap under a, what do we call it? headline. So a recapitulation in this context, what it, it means is it's uniting together of all things, summarizing them under the head of Jesus Christ. That word recapitulation, our translation doesn't have it, but there, it's there in verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things, to recapitulate all things in him, in Jesus things in heaven and things on earth. Now, I said that for Paul, all of those other gems, all of those gospel blessings, that they all culminate in this gift of recapitulation, this uniting of all things in Christ. And why should that be? Well, think about it. In the beginning, God weaves together all things in this essential, original unity as humankind is united, right? Adam and Eve, are, they come together as what? One flesh, one flesh. And there is that original unity between God and man. And even, in fact, heaven and earth are united, see? This is what we are looking forward to on the last day is heaven and earth being reunited because through the entrance of sin into the world, they were rent asunder. 
And these divisions, these fragmentations and fractures that we experience in all aspects of life now today, that's all part of the rotten fruit of that original fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All of those divisions are part of the fallout from the entrance of sin into the world. What started as that original essential unity has now been fragmented, fractured, and frayed like a tapestry, right? A tattered tapestry. And I know you guys see that. I mean, I hear people lamenting it, bemoaning it every day on TV, in the news, right? We're so divided. Things are so polarized. Our whole society is fractured and tattered and falling apart, fraying at the seams. That's the way that people will often describe it. And yeah, that is how it is. Because we live in this state, separated and divided from God. But this is where Christ Jesus comes in, see? This is what Jesus has done. Sometimes we just talk about his work on the cross and through his resurrection as the forgiveness of sins, which is true. It's right there, it's one of the gems that Paul mentions. But it goes further than that. What we have through Jesus' death and resurrection is the recapitulation of all things, the reuniting of heaven and earth, the drawing together of all of that, those disparate um, parts and pieces of existence that now they have been tied back together with Christ Jesus as the, the tie that binds, the one that brings it all together. We see this throughout the scriptures because Jesus now, he is our true and greater Adam, the one who did not disobey God, but who was faithful unto death. Christ Jesus is the true and greater Abraham who went out uh, in obedience to his father. Jesus Christ is the true and better Isaac. He is that sacrifice that satisfies God the Father. Jesus is the true and greater David who stood in the breach for you and me and who not with a stone but through his own death and resurrection was able to take down that greater Goliath of sin, death, and the devil. Christ Jesus brings together all of history and sums it up into himself, see, that now it has all been recapitulated, reunited in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Can I get an amen? This is what Jesus has accomplished. And maybe that's a way that we haven't always thought about what he has done. This recapping of our Lord. But what difference does that make for you and me now in this age? We're looking forward to that future day when God is going to reunite heaven and earth. There's going to be that new creation. But what difference does it make right now? And I want to tease out for you three implications and applications for us as believers and, and as the church in this age. And of course, being a preacher, I've got to give you some alliteration, okay? And so I'm going to give you three things here. Community, coherency, and conclusivity. I don't know if that's a word, but we'll just roll with it. Community, coherency, and conclusivity. I'll tell you what I mean by each of those. First of all, community. And really, the, the rest of the letter of Ephesians, and over the next few weeks, we'll be unpacking this more. But what has happened as a result of the atonement, and it's this beautiful word. What is atone? Atonement is literally the at-one-ment. At-one-ment. That atoning work that now we have been made at one with God, that spills over into all the rest of creation. Division, discord, strife, 
is temporary. And it's not the way that God originally intended things to be. So instead, one of the blessed fruits of this recapitulation is a restored community. See, you hear the word unity in there, and that first part of it, the, com the community, it's a unity together. That's what community is. And within the church, at her best, we're already seeing a foretaste of this kind of uniting. This bridging of a, a, a people that ties together people, doesn't matter what their demographics are, doesn't matter what their class is, doesn't matter what their, what their background is, but now we are united in the body of Christ. This is something worth striving for. This is something worth pursuing. Paul says elsewhere, as much as it depends on you, seek peace with all people. Are you doing that? Are you pursuing peace, that beautiful concept of, of shalom with all people? Are you living in to the atoning work of our Lord? Or are you instead delighting in division? Because I think it's easier to do that. And there's a lot of forces right now in our world, across the political spectrum, across the cultural spectrum, that are pushing you and me in that direction. What if instead the church was known for being agents of reconciliation, see? Ambassadors of recapitulation. Uh, put that on a bumper sticker. That's who we are called to be because community is part of the fruit of that work of our Lord Jesus. The second implication and application for us is coherency. Coherency. What do I mean by coherency? Paul says in a, a very similar passage in Colossians chapter 1 that in Christ all things cohere. They hold together in him. Jesus is called elsewhere the cornerstone. See, And what was the cornerstone? The cornerstone was the, the keystone, the one that held all of the, the edifice of the building together. So it is that in Jesus all things hold together. And this is really important for us to recognize because, well, as it's sometimes said, for instance, all truth is God's truth. Because of this recapitulation work of our Lord Jesus, now in whatever vocation you are in, you can pursue it as a believer because you recognize that Jesus has, has sanctified all of this. All truth is God's truth. Whether I'm working in the, the sciences, whether I'm working in business, whether I'm working in the, the helping professions, as a teacher, whatever it might be, I'm able to see that work under the lens of our Lord Jesus, through the lens of our Lord Jesus. There's this wonderful quote from C.S. Lewis, one of my favorites, which is saying a lot. I got a lot of favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis, but he says, I believe in the resurrection for the same reason that I believe in the sunrise. Not because I can see it, but because by it I can see everything else. I believe in the resurrection for the same reason I believe in the sunrise, not because I can see it, there are cloudy days, but because by it I can see everything else. In Christ Jesus, all things hold together. We have that coherency now in him. And thirdly, conclusivity or conclusiveness, okay? That in Jesus, we have that satisfying conclusion that all of those threads are being tied together. 
Now, this happens sometimes with, with TV shows. There was a show that was on a decade or so ago, Lost. Anybody remember the show Lost? And you got sucked into this. It was the, the story of these people that were on some d desert island. And you're like, what's going on? There's time travel. There's polar bears. There was all kinds of crazy stuff. And I stuck with it like a fool. I stuck with it one season after another. And why do you do it? Why do you keep watching the, a show like that? It's because you think hope against hope. Well, at the end, they're going to tie it all together, right? You're thinking all of those pieces, ultimately, they're all going to fit together. Friends, I'm going to give you the spoiler alert so you don't waste your time. At the end, they didn't tie it all together, all right? Too many shows are like that, but also too many lives are like that. But at the end of all things, when our Lord Jesus comes again, we will have that perfect satisfying conclusion all those loose ends in this life all those questions that have gone unanswered will at the last be given that full and satisfying conclusion in christ that's what we are looking forward to and longing for indeed the renewal of all things and so i find it kind of ironic that the, uh, the movie that was made about Stephen Hawking's life, The Theory of Everything, fittingly titled, came out a few years ago, the movie itself actually has a really good conclusion. I thought, you know, if it's going to be really true to his life, it should have just, like, not come together. But it came together really beautifully. There's this moment at the end, and he's toward the end of his life, and he's giving a lecture, and he has to speak for that weird kind of box thing. I mean, all of those things that he had to do is just, the man was remarkable in so many ways. But someone stands up at the end of his lecture and asks him this question. They say, Mr. Hawking, you've made it very clear that you do not believe in God. So what is your philosophy of life? In the movie, as he is pondering this question, uh, a girl sitting in the front row drops her pen, just drops on the floor. And he suddenly has this vision in his mind's eye of himself getting up out of his wheelchair, where suddenly it's like the, all, all the things that have happened to him all, all of his life, all the, the dread effects of that disease have been reversed. And he's able to get up out of his wheelchair and walk down to the girl and to find her pen. And so it's a simple thing. It's a mundane thing. But to stoop down and pick up her pen with some fine motor skills and put it back on the desk. And it's though the, as though the, the director of the movie is saying that here is what Mr. Hawking is still longing for, even in spite of himself, what it is that keeps him going. And so in answer to the man's question, what he says is this, where there is life, there is hope. And it's a beautiful thing. I find it so tragic that Mr. Hawking didn't actually have a worldview that could support that. That hope was a fool's errand for him. And that longing for things to be renewed and restored from his perspective simply could never be. But not so for you and me. That longing for all things to be renewed and restored is no fool's errand, is no false hope, but it is a sure promise in our Lord Jesus 
that all of the loose threads of this life will at the last be tied together in our Lord who is the tie that binds. Because you have this gem drawer of his love. You can trust in that assured promise that on the last day, the recap from our Savior will be very simple in just two words. Jesus wins. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to confess our faith.